Hello. Hello, audience. Welcome to another calming dose of Chemohawk Sessions. I hope you are having a sublime week. I will, and to an extent, already have. Start incorporating fresh feedback I receive into subsequent episodes. As you present to my attention both the marvelous moments that have impressed you and the portions slash segments you feel would be better altered, sharpened, or otherwise tailored to a more perfect Chemohawk session suit fit. No, I am marinating on your advice seriously and taking your suggestions to Cupid's favorite target. Your responses and recommendations are critical and integral in our ongoing Chemohawk collaboration. And on that thought, do you sometimes wish that your manager could be so open and receptive to your feedback? Do you often wonder how swell it would be to truly gift your manager candid, comprehensive feedback with a sense of immunity, a sense of impunity? It is one thing to be a carbon-based button on a starched white-collar machine that claims you can speak freely about the organization's and middle management's missteps, errors in judgment, and lacking leadership style, only to learn it is a gross and disturbing corporate version of entrapment. You know, the classic, hey, tell me what you think about me, and then you honor their request, and then they rake you over the coals and throw you in some sort of organizational corporate prison. It can happen to anyone. It has happened to a lot of people. Take my advice to heart. I instantly regretted falling for that tricky trap of, tell me falsetto, how can I improve my management approach? Only to pay the proverbial piper later. If and only if you have a cool, calculated, flexible, and adult manager, can you even consider opining on such a precarious and potentially disastrous line of dialogue? If you do have a middle manager who has proven reliable and who protects and defends you, grapple them with a sumo grip and hold them close. But also realize that the two most powerful words in the English language, according to Vin Diesel in a film called Find Me Guilty, are things change. And in a corporate system, things change as quickly as weather and snow-capped mountains. You must always prepare yourself for the disheartening reality that a manager you see eye to eye with can be moved, displaced, promoted, demoted, or retired. Or, of course, a large cocaine shipment could be found on their person or in their home, as previously predicted in a prior episode. Okay, okay, when I say retired, I do not mean assassinated, but you catch my drift. I knew someone at my former company, they, real nice, salt of the earth type, I believe they were from Arkansas or some such place. Ah, the Emerald State, also the home of President Clinton. But anyways, I can tell you that they spent about two years forming a real solid bonds with their immediate manager and they built up a lot of goodwill and they had shown their manager that they were someone they could rely on and someone that could very seamlessly take the reins and you know start managing a group of 10 people but then what happens that manager went to another department boom all credibility shot now what could have been a potential shoe-in is now someone that maybe they can pass a kind word along or they can be a reference but it just does not carry the same gravity as when that manager was in that position in that department. So things change. Things can take you by surprise and then you just have to adapt, survive, just things to think about. With that lengthy preface, welcome dear audience to chapter seven, white collar, black belt, between your boss and an albatross. 
your supervisor's role in the crooked shell game of middle management. From here on out, I will try my very best to refer to middle managers as only M&M. They're colorful, small, and coated in a thin candy shell. This will touch on both sides from the perspective of those who report to an M&M and also the day in the life of an M&M. Here is your initial quote. The middle manager is doomed to remain just that. Once an office rat, always an office rat. Corinne Meyer. Now, when I think of rat, I think of the Jack Nicholson Im impression from that great film, The Departed. Ugh, nine, seething rat. That's exactly what you should think of when you think of some M&Ms. Those ones that you flip on a light and they scurry like cockroaches. They hide in the crevices and wait for their moment to pounce on an opportunity. Always be mindful of office rats, M&M rats, and make sure that if you offer them cheese, that it is in the safe bosom of a mousetrap. First, allow me to comment on some recent feedback pertaining to Chemohawk Sessions. This comes courtesy of my compadre Lambro. He was very complimentary and appreciated the flow and sound quality of these sessions. With that said, I do my best not to type or do anything that the sound mic can pick up. I do apologize for the occasional switch click from the movement of my chair. Sometimes I am just scratching my head and other things, but it is a sensitive mic, so be mindful. He also said that, as far as advice goes, to keep the presentations in the present as much as possible. He identified, being the avid podcast listener that he is, when things are said during an episode that have a tendency to date the material, i.e. using specific dates in the past or talking about moments that are obviously or overtly a decade in some sort of flashback, they can indelibly date the material. He proposed keeping the content in the present so that future audience members who listen to this material, say five years from now, can still find it relevant and fresh. Thank you, Lambro. He also indicated that he looks at listening to some podcasts as an escape from his present reality. Just like any sort of escapism entertainment, a movie, an audiobook, what have you, it's a good idea to be talking in the present so that the audience member can focus on just the here and now. So again, thank you. I really appreciate that sound wisdom. I will continue to make film references, pop culture references, and share some very personal accounts that took place at various stages in my life. But I will work to refrain from dropping specific dates or laying groundwork in my stories that they are tales of yore, pre-Y2K, for example. Note, dear listeners, that nothing in the content of my presentation to you is random or otherwise accidental. There is a strategic process that I employ, both the title of each episode and tying it in with the corresponding vocal content. The title for this episode, Chapter 7, is no different. You have all heard the idiom between a rock and a hard place, or if you prefer, between the devil and the deep blue sea. For purposes of this chapter's subject matter, <laughs> speaking of the devil is likely a more apt comparison. If you have ever shared billable time with a scatterbrained, sinister supervisor, but in keeping with my prior professed love for Greek characters, my absolute favorite is Scylla and Charybdis. Scylla was a female sea monster who devoured sailors when they got too close in navigating the narrow channel between Scylla's cave and another monster, Charybdis. This is from Homer's Odyssey. Odysseus had to sail through that narrow passage without losing too much of his crew to either monster. Wow. Tales like that make me think complaining about a dull or mischievous supervisor is a first world problem. Oh well, proceed we will in fine F-Star's fashion. 
Now, like any good experiment or comparison, analysis, it is always good to define our variables. Albatross examples. A very large oceanic bird with long, narrow wings. Some have wingspans greater than 10 feet. In fact, as far as a little trivia goes, the wandering albatross is the largest flying bird in the world. Now, I am not an ornithologist, but any creature that can flee its predator via flight has an evolutionary advantage. That's pretty wicked. The other definition is a source of guilt or frustration. Some encumbrance, if you will. Shell game, a game involving sleight of hand, which three cups inverted are filled with nutshells and moved around. You've all played that game or at least seen it in some back alley or maybe outside Reno. But the other definition, a deceptive and evasive action, particularly a political one. Think about that. Think about the albatross that is connected or on the other side of the spectrum from your boss, which can be a source of frustration or something that is in your way. And with the shell game of office politics, the shell game that the supervisor finds himself in and the ongoing and inherent complicated structure of middle management, a shell game speaks to political corruption, uh, some type of deceptive action. These terms are not meant to sound hopeful. This is a real problem inherent in this eminent position. Here's your first quote. Success in middle management is about stampeding by example, the covert comic. I've been promoted to middle management. I never thought I'd sink so low. Tim Gould. One idea I presented at work was to introduce the concept of a skip level meeting where you go one salary grade past your immediate supervisor to their manager and have a meeting just with them, mano y mano, in theory providing you a safe haven place to speak encouragingly or to air your supervisor's very putrid laundry of misdeeds, perhaps a healthy combo of the two. For me, as someone with a moderate recollection of history, tyrants do not fare well and those acting with absolute authority, with few safeguards, tend to become either sadistic or megalomaniacs. It is a sound notion to keep all of us honest, from your supervisor, supervisor on down. If you find yourself locked in a battle of wills with your supervisor, or if you and your supervisor's personality are oil and water, or UT Austin and A&M Agriculture and Mechanical College Station, one of the largest college sports rivalries I had ever heard of. As long as they remain your supervisor, the checks and balances seem to be severely lacking. For those of us who have tried to circumvent our immediate middle manager and go around or over their head, the outcome was not jovial. It usually led to a harangue, mentioned back in episode one of Chemohawk Sessions, buzzsaw words, where you are accused of violating the sanctified chain of command. Give me a break. Which is exactly why skip level meetings are necessary. To give your supervisor something to sweat and to keep everyone honest. Gary Ullman in The Professional. Benny, bring me everyone. Boss, what do you mean? Who do I? Everyone! Ah, oh, such a great villain. So dear audience, if you find yourself locking machete sharp horns with your beloved boss, I urge you to consider pushing skip-level meetings on the docket of your next department meeting. What is the worst that can happen? You get cancer, endure the problematic medicine juice of chemo and radiation, almost die, adopt a mohawk slash fauxhawk as part of your dapper GQ style, and then return to work nine months later, only to be gifted a pile of work that rivals the height of the Tower of Babel? Oh wait, that's my story. Find your own story. Seriously though. If your boss's boss is as wise as a serpent, but gentle as a dove, maybe a skip level meeting can be one bigfoot step in the right direction in your immediate hierarchy. 
I think it's very interesting that my former company, I had pushed the idea of a skip level meeting. And in the six years I was in this specific department, it never once took place. There was never a private meeting where the grunt soldiers fighting in the trenches on the floor were gifted the time to have a private meeting with their boss's boss to discuss the M&M. It never, it never happened. It never dawned on the managers to have that meeting. It never dawned on them that a check and balance or that some type of third party evaluation of what exactly they're doing on the day to day to be monitored, to be evaluated. It just seemed like a real dangerous gap in authority where there was no policing the police. I don't know. I just, something about that strikes me as a little bit corrupt and a little bit strange that there was not that level of oversight, especially when the managers were in the position of being responsible for the tutelage and for the coaching of 10 or more people. If the manager knows what they're doing and they're instructing you properly, that's all well in gravy. But if the manager is incorrect or if their style is not particularly advantageous to the customers that these ground troops are servicing, that can be a lot of mistakes. That's 10 people doing something incorrectly because they were given bad instructions. That can really spiral into something that becomes untenable. So I just really was concerned with the lack of skip level meetings or the ability to have discussions with a manager that was not your own. A responsible boss can be an employee's best dream, wet dream, but an ineffectual boss with a short fuse and hell to pay can be an employee's worst nightmare, daymare. In large corporations, they have been deemed essential, but based on a meme a trusted comrade of mine just sent me, this is their function in a brief summary. Middle manager or M&M. Too senior to perform real work, too insignificant on the corporate totem to command real decisions, they are an integral layer no one wants to claim or cross paths with and easy to hate. Their Christmas wish list continuously consists of meetings, managing of the micro persuasion, and buzzsaw words to justify their wobbly sandcastle existence. Now I changed that up a little bit, made it a little bit more colorful, but you get the drift. Middle managers, M&Ms, they are an uncoveted position as far as I'm concerned, but I'm just a voice of one. Would you want to be a middle manager, audience? Would you? I am really asking here. I can tell you with no equivocation, I would not. It is an easy conversation to broach on here through this forum. My dislike for most of the manager and manager styles I encountered. What do you do when you know your idea or your team's idea or your decision on how to handle a pivotal matter is correct, proper, and practical? and your manager fights you jaw and joint on it, or summarily pumps two metaphorical bullets pop pop into the base brain of your idea, or using the Mozambique drill, two to the chest, one to the head, thereby rendering your brilliant solution limp and lifeless. <laughs> I understand the anger. My boy Lambro understands the rage, and I empathize with your immediate natural impulse to blame your boss, or BYB, if you want to throw in another acronym. But in the interest of remaining fair, I again, Politely ask you to consider if you want your manager's position. Do you want an atlas level of burden shouldering for a piddly hike in your salary? Now, I am not acquainted with the circumstances of your workplace compensation. In my former department, managers were given no company vehicle, no overtime opportunities. They were salaried, which is a fancy and sterile way of saying they are a modestly compensated butler. They are fetching every digital need from their boss and emptying every virtual chamber pot. 
Understand that the pay bump, depending on your current circumstances, can be anywhere from 4500 to 9 k and that is being generous if you take into account that you will most assuredly transform from an hourly slash salaried employee, guaranteed to work no more than 40 hours, and in the occasional opportunity that you do work more than 40, you will get time and a half for your additional services. If you already have a hefty salary as an hourly salary worker, the odds are your pay raise when you promote to the M&M level will be reduced on some pro rata or internal bracket or whatever fuzzy voodoo mathematics they select to apply. With the additional responsibilities you will bear, it is not illogical to expect to work 60 plus hours a week. Now, if you are interested in working your way to a regional position or have a glowing and insatiable ambition, or if you simply want to dip your fungus-free toe into an M&M title just so that you can take that experience with you as you transition to a new company, or if it had been my former company, I would have transitioned to a more dignified and well-oiled company. But then it makes sense. Speaking from experience, I asked six to seven managers if they liked what they did and if the work-life balance was intact and undiminished. I would like to tell you their faces lit up like a delinquent youth who finds the master key to the school, but that would be erroneous. They clearly were not joyous in their position and explained that the expectation was not a 40-hour work week, but a gnawing, lingering collection of workplace messes and spills that were never really spotless and always required another look, another email, another pre- and post-conference. Not to mention the exhausting, thankless task of trying to wrangle 10 different personalities and having to get 10 mostly reasonable minds to understand, succumb to, and ultimately support new asinine initiatives that even the M&M does not believe in themselves. As an M&M, you will have to grow rather comfortable, like a caterpillar snuggling up in a recently disposed of Starburst candy wrapper on the side of the road, living in F-Star's lie. Speaking of littering, I can tell you from some time spent in some psychology courses that if you want to get the general populace to comply with some request, if you add the word please to the recommendation or the admonishment or what have you, the probability of people abiding by that goes up astronomically. So if you say no spitting in the bathroom, if you add a please to that, you now will have a vast collection of the populace that may very well obey. Please, please can get you pretty far. I remember that sign in Texas, Matthew McConaughey plastered all over the billboards. Please don't litter. I would not want to be an M&M. If you know you would not want that position, I hope that will allow you to remain fair and balanced, harboring a little bit of patience and humility before you strike at your M&M with a sickle. Companies, as they grow to become multi-billion dollar entities, somehow lose their vision. They insert lots of layers of middle management between the people running the company and the people doing the work. They no longer have an inherent feel or a passion about the products. The creative people, who are the ones who care passionately, have to persuade five layers of management to do what they know is the right thing to do. Steve F. Star's jobs. That quote speaks to the heart of this episode. That is exactly what we are talking about. Multiple layers, no direct accountability. It just becomes an upside down ant farm of pandemonium. I thank you, Steve Jobs, for that insightful quote. Here's another quote. And, and through, no, through, through no planning, this actually includes a Greek mythology reference. The Trojans lost the war. 
because they fell for a really dumb trick. Hey, there's a gigantic wooden horse outside, and all the Greeks have left. Let's bring it inside. Not a formula for long-term survival. Now, if they had formed a task force to study the Trojan horse and report back to a committee, everyone wouldn't have been massacred. Who says middle management is useless? Adam C. Inkst. Oh, that's a, that's a good one. I love that one. Still reeling from the greatness of that one. Here's a little research that I dug up just to kind of put this in a more practical application. Many of the challenges middle managers have grappled with in past decades are still present. The pace of industry has skyrocketed. It puts more pressure on these titans of the corporate world. The lines between professional and personal have become more muddy. Think about it with the introduction of a virtual environment, with the virtual environment becoming more and more practical and more commonplace. It's harder to separate in your own mind the workplace from the personal life. This is another consideration. Another, the tempo of operational corporations has reached something of a frenetic pace and a fevered pitch. Today's M&Ms are forced to work in environments that are simply more complex. They're having to learn how to manage a multi-generational workforce. That is a very salient point. You think about all the different senses of entitlement, all the different personalities and the different outlooks on work and what's expected of you, what should be expected of you. I do not envy the position of having to wrangle a multi-generational workforce. Brooke Rufo Hill of Seattle University states about the percentage of millennials now represent the largest share of the U.S. workforce. And there is a push for supervisors to be more transparent, decentralized, and collaborative. Now, I hate the buzzsaw words, buzzsaw words. I hate the concept of transparency and decentralized just with these multisyllabic words. But there is some, there's some knowledge to take away from that viewpoint. Many middle managers struggle to manage up. Often, they don't have all the information they need to make proper decisions. Or they were never really given the rationale for a reason that trickled down the hill. So they're put in the same position that they're essentially asking of their underlings to just blindly accept. If you want to be a manager, here are a couple of bullet points. You have to improve your communication skills. However good they may be presently, you can always work on them. You can always refine them. You can always keep in the back of your mind that your audience is always going to be different and you have to be able to navigate a different audience and a different viewpoint just at the drop of a hat. Every interaction a manager has, in theory, is an opportunity to send out a little bit more positivity. So even if you don't agree with something or if you can only see the negative downside, it's best to not reflect that. Often what separates performance between teams, and I know this is true, is their ability to share information, communicate expectations, and to work towards a goal, a common goal. In fact, the research has determined that top performers and top managers have at least 10 times a higher rate of communication. So it's important that that communication be accurate and well explained. Second, learn how to influence others. To influence as an M&M, you must understand and to effectively navigate workplace politics. Advocate for yourself and for your team. I would say navigate for yourself for your own career trajectory, but always be navigating for your team as your team is essentially the reason that you have the position that you have and can play a very strategically linked consideration in your own performance, uh, raise, things like this. And build and maintain trust with key stakeholders based on your character 
and your competence. Here is a very, very scary and sincere personal nugget. Let me take a moment and pose myself. Did you know that I once considered applying for an M&M position? As night follows day, and as a silent but deadly cutting the cheese is more toxic and noxious than loud and proud cheese cutting, I did. I totally did. I would get to work at the earliest possible interval, 6 a.m. But one day, I arrived about 10 minutes early. The building is eerie and sterile in the wee hours of the a.m. Darker than a coal miner's tidy whities outside, crickets overtaking the roof shimmying down the downspouts, energy-efficient lights glowing and dying at random intervals, a dearth of office drones. I would have to walk two or three rows to even find another human face. But as I was walking downstairs with a little time to kill, I saw an open door to a conference room. But what secured my attention was a familiar scene, a glow familiar to me as I enjoy candles and votives to set a serene mood in the evening. I saw what could only be described as the fickle flames dancing from an assortment of strategically placed candles. As I approached the room, a foreign smell of incense ash and a spectrum of exotic spices overcame me. I turned the corner of the door trim and inside, well, I'm sorry, this is harder than I thought it would be to recount. Inside was the contorted and unnatural pose of a dead goat, a dead F-Star's goat, a pentagram carved in the table and smeared hastily on the wall in goat blood, a pineapple, some kind of offering to some pagan or wicked deity, and an unkindness of ravens cloaked supervisors all standing around with barm tools and bound books covered in runic symbols. They then stared at me, their raven masks and thick cloaks flapping near the AC duct, and they said, Join us, falsetto. Join our corporate congregation. Now I stayed, to be sure, consumed a delectable piece of goat hide, and we sipped some devil's cup whiskey out of some corny skull goblets and laughed a long time. But I ultimately declined their middle management position, for I told them that I preferred to have my ritualistic meetings at Applebee's. Oh well, sometimes you just don't see eye to eye with raven-cloaked cultist. Thank you. Thank you for directing your sole attention to these words for the last half hour of your lives or so. Who are we kidding? I do not even want to fathom the vile and unmentionable activities you, audience, are engaging in while listening. Some of you are probably weaving in and out of traffic in your smart cars, flying in your private shoppers, spooning out that last glob of mayo into your mouth, a vice acquired from white-collar stress, no doubt, or trimming the claws on your favorite domesticated animal. It is my sincere hope that you listen to this while working, as your respective employers are only entitled to, say, 65% of your attention. Enjoy the rest of your day, audience, and remember, do not huff any rubber cement. There are much safer ways to unwind the daily grind, such as entertaining these sessions. Tune in for the next dose, Chapter 8, White Collar, Black Belt, Dollar Signs Between the Lines. How to determine and declare your white collar worth. Oh, this was a fun episode. It was a very, very illuminating episode. Falsetto out.